Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. Today is Joe Cerulli, owner and founder of Gainesville Health and Fitness. Joe has focused his life on two things, helping people become healthy and building a company culture that inspires people to become their best. Welcome, Joe. Great to be with you, Paul. The first thing I want to ask is that I can't quite equate company culture with a gym, Uh, (laughs) I haven't had that experience of going to gyms where culture seemed to matter. Uh, Where did that philosophy even come from for you? You know, I think when I first began for a number of years, uh, it just kind of, when I say evolved, it evolved with a purpose because I knew what kind of company I wanted to have. And and it seemed like I was able to attract people who believed in the same things that I believed in. But it it was just like an organic thing that occurred inside the company. It was in the 90s when I actually did it more by design because I got a much better understanding of the whole concept of culture. But I got a better understanding of a, a lot of things. You know, Paul, like a lot of people who start businesses, I mean, I never went to school for business. I mean, I just learned by observing, by watching other people, watching other leaders, kind of learning the the proverbial good, bad, and ugly. And it just so happened in the 90s, I picked up a an article in the Harvard Business Review called Building Your Company's Vision. And it was by Jim Collins, well before he ever wrote uh, Good to Great or Great by Choice. Mm-hmm. As a fact, I didn't even know who he was. I just read this article and it talked about vision and mission and core values and culture and core purpose. And I'm going through this whole thing. And as I'm going through it, I'm saying, you know, I understand that. I understand that. I understand that all the different components. And when I finished, I said, you know, I know I understand it, but I wonder if everybody inside my company understands this. So what I did was I I told eight of my employees, you know, eight leaders in the organization, I said, look, we're going to get away for a day, and we're going to discuss all of these things. I thought it would take a day to define it. And um, I was wrong, but I was only wrong by like six months. <laughs> it took six months of constant work going through everything. And a big part of it was understanding what the core values of the company were and what the culture was. And, and you know, the way I, you know, described it to him, I said, look, at core values are those things that will never change no matter what. I said, like, let me give you an example. Let's say we say quality is a core value. But later we find out we come up, somebody comes up and says, you know, if we do this cheaper, we can sell more of it and we can make more money. Would, would we say that, uh, would we do it? And, um, and understanding, if you said yes, then 
quality really wasn't a core value of the company. So we went through, we defined the core values, and then when it came to the culture, I said, look, culture is defined as the way we do things around here. So I said, I want you to write down all the words that you think describe the culture of our company. I had them, I had them leave where we were. I said, go sit down for an hour. Write down all the words. And uh, when they came back, I went around the room and I started writing all those words on a board. And um, and I said, OK, we've got uh, 54 different things. The only problem is we got to get it down to like less than 10. <laughs> that was part of the six month process. But by time we were finished with that project, we absolutely defined who we were as a company, what the culture was, what the core values were. And from that, we said, okay, let's look at our entire hiring process to develop a way to make sure that the people who come into our company totally fit into the culture and the core values of the company. And that led to this whole redesign and an and a in-depth process of hiring people. And, um, and then, obviously, once you have them in the organization, those elements of your culture like you know, developing leaders – sharing information, those kind of things are explained to the people with them understanding the reason why they are hired was we found they already had these kind of values already inside of them. And now we're going to pull them out to show you how we utilize them inside the organization. So that was how it was done on purpose. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. Uh, One is I'm familiar very much with that article by Jim Collins. I think it was 1994. I still pass it out all the time to people that I meet that are trying to understand uh, what it means to build a vision. Uh, And isn't it something that it can take uh, a book, an article, a mentor, just one thing that could literally change the course of our business. And I remember uh, how much that article did for me in understanding and seeing examples of what other companies did. Uh, And the fact that, as you said, many of us don't go to school to become leaders or to know how to be entrepreneurs. And, uh, and it's once we finally get out of our shell and start to realize how much wisdom there really is out there. And once you start to open yourself up to learning those things, how it can really change your business. And when we think about, uh, Gainesville Health and Fitness today, Joe, just share a little bit about scope. How, how big are you? How many uh, employees you have? What's the scope of the business today? Uh, well, we have three locations in Gainesville. The only locations are in Gainesville, Florida, as far as the health clubs. So I have three locations, uh, 500 uh, employees. We have, a little, we have about 27,400 members right now in our centers. I also, uh, back in 1986, I, I was sparring one night in uh, karate, and I ripped my knee apart, and I had to have surgery and new ligaments put in my leg, and I went to rehab, and it was supposed to be the best rehab center in town, and I remember going through it, and I mean, my actual thought on it was, this place sucks. Mm-hmm. We so much better than this, and uh, in 1988, I opened up a rehab center. And now we have two rehab centers. We have about uh, nine physical therapists on the staff. And uh, that's the main business. And then something we may want to talk about later, a a book I read a number of years ago that led to the redesign of my entire facilities and an idea that I got in a department store in London that led me to taking one component of it. And um, it's called X-Force. 
and developing a, a, a next force center down in Palm Harbor, Florida. And now I'm just getting ready to uh, sign a lease for another center in Tampa, Florida. So that's the one component that's moved out of Gainesville. But it's a component I have in my main center. My biggest center is an 80,000 square foot center. Wow. So. So that's how it's kind of evolved. Yeah, well, that's quite something to have uh, developed uh, all of these locations and multiple businesses. Sounds like you uh, you have no lack of energy to to keep going and keep evolving yourself. So let's uh, let's take you back because you have just such an interesting story. You're uh, when you really first realized that. Uh, there was something more in you and that you could become a leader. And I think the stories from even your childhood and uh, that that formed who you are today. And I think for all of us, that's the case. But yours is especially unique. And I remember reading about how you started lifting weights yourself at a very early age, not so much because you wanted to build a, a better body, but uh, because of stuff that was happening to you. You know, where did this all come from? Well, I think the initial, I don't think, I know, the initial thing was, and it's always stayed that way, has been about my health. And uh, when I say that, now I have good health. But from when I was uh, seven years old, I can always remember my mother saying to me, Joe, as long as you have your health, you have everything. She used to say that to me all the time. And that got me in front of the TV to exercise in the Jack LaLanne when I was eight years old and uh, just telling her for Christmas, uh, be right before I turned nine that all I wanted was a set of weights. And, uh, you know, I got, I got the weights. I mean, obviously I knew I wanted to become stronger. One of the, one of the challenges I think that you may be referring to is, is, um, I was always, I started, I started kindergarten when I was four, which meant every year I went to school, I was always the youngest kid in the class. And the problem being the youngest kid in the class is a lot of times you have a lot of people in your class who failed one or two times. So it even makes the disparity, you know, quite different. So when I was in the eighth grade, I was 12 and a lot of guys in my class were 15. And, um, so there's always bullies and, um, I always ran into them. Mm. And, uh, I mean, obviously cause I was the youngest, but, but I, I never really backed down from anybody cause I was always training hard, you know, to keep myself as strong as I possibly could to deal, you know, with any of the situations I had. So that was always in the, that was always in the background, but I knew I'd get older and, um, I'd be, and maybe they could say those guys would still be a few years older, but they wouldn't be any stronger. So, <laughs> you know, that was that was always a driving force. It's just but it's always been a Paul. It's always been a passion for me. I've never stopped lifting weights since I was nine years old ever. And I still I still it's like I trained this morning and we we're meeting at at six o'clock and I get up at four thirty in the morning, drink a couple cups of coffee and take a shower and get dressed and head to the gym and get focused on what it is I'm going to be doing. So I've never lost my passion for it. What a great example for all of us. And, um, I wasn't up at four thirty this morning and, you know, I look at this, Oh, I've got to uh, do my podcast with Joe at nine. I'll skip the workout. So I'm like most people, uh, that, you know, maybe put it off. So just the sense of discipline that you've had all of your life is a, is a great, uh, great lesson. What about, uh, you know, tell me about your folks and how they were influential on, uh, in addition to what, you know, your mom said about being healthy. Well, I mean, first of all, I had a great family. I've got four sisters and, uh, 
two older sisters, two younger sisters, and two younger brothers. And uh, my mother was a nurse. My father, uh, when I was young, was in the military. He was a lifer, you know, in the Navy. So, you know, I, I, my father was a, um, he was a military guy all the way through. And, and you learn discipline through your, through your parents. Um, and you all, you not only because they tell you this is what you're going to do and you do it, but also by, by their example. And, and, you know, my, the one thing I, I, when I think about my father, all I think of is the hardest working person you'll ever find. You know, he worked hard all the time. I mean, considering the fact he had, uh, you know, a family of nine, right, that he had to, that he fed, um, he worked hard. My mother was always strong. Uh, when I, I don't mean just physically strong, but mentally strong. And so you learn those kind of attributes about even in the worst of conditions, staying strong, you know, and she also she also took action. And I mean, I you know, how you can always when you think that my mother died last year. So it's amazing how you when you when your parents die, how you go back to when you were a kid. You know, you think about all those times from when you were a kid. And, and I can always remember. I, I mean, I swear to God, I must have been nine, maybe 10. And we were at a picnic and, uh, at, at one of the parks up in upstate New York and, and uh, probably about 30 feet away, a dog started choking. And I can always remember my mother running right over to that dog, grabbing him, putting her hand down its throat. It's like she knew, she knew. Mm. And, you know, it's just those little examples of people, you know, of them taking action, no matter what the situation was. My I, my father never saw fear. In my, only one time did I see my father break down. That's when my next older sister, they found out she had cancer. It's the only time. Other than that, my father was strong. So I learned um, those those characteristics by watching them. Probably even more than you know, listening <laughs> than listening to them. They were just great examples. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny that it reminds me of my parents. It's the same thing. My my dad, uh, I just looked at as just the hardest working person ever, and and uh, and my mom being the strong one mentally that you know kept everything going. And you know they didn't have nine, you know, a family of nine. They had a family of five, but uh, still. Uh, just those values stay with us. Um, and sorry about your mom a year ago. I'm, I, I can't imagine that. I'm, my folks are in their early nineties too. So, um, I at least think about those, those things and, um, and worry a little bit about what that's going to be like. But, um, I'm sure that's been, uh, you know, a, a really, uh, emotional time for you. Yeah. you just, now you never, you can never forget them. You can never forget what they do, what they've done for you. And, and, um, so, She's missed a lot. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, early on, um, once you started uh, not only taking care of your own health, you you got involved in the in the fitness industry and and had some jobs in in various clubs and kind of how did how did that experience lead to ultimately uh, you starting your own business? Well, first of all, I. <laughs> I decided to take one year off from college. I'd gone to school for two years. I decided to take one year off. A buddy of mine and I were going to travel around the country. But right when I got time to do, he backed out. So I really didn't want to travel around the United States by myself. 
But the first place we were going to come to was Gainesville, Florida. And uh, the reason why was there was a girl I went out with up in New York who moved down here to go to school. So we thought, well, we'll come down here first, hang mm-hmm. out for a little period of time and then head out west. But when he backed out, you know, I called Teresa, who was down here, and I said, look, I said, we're not going to travel around. He's not, Johnny doesn't want to travel around the country, so I'll come down to Gainesville and I'll spend 30 days down there. Then I'll go back home, go back to school. You know, I mean, I'll go back to work, save money and go back to school. And um, so anyway, I came down here and the first day here, I mean, I knew I needed to work out. And the reason why she came down in the first place was her brother lived here. And I heard he was a member of a health club. It was called the Steve Spurrier Health Spa. And um, so I said to him, Frank, you mind if I go with him? And he goes, no, no, come on. So I went. And when I was done working out, I went to the manager and I said, look, and I'm only in town for 30 days and I don't have any money to pay you to work out, but I'd be willing to work for free if you'll let me work out. And uh, so that's how that's how it started. The plan was to be 30 days, spend 30 days, decided I'd spend 30 more and did and went home for Christmas. Person I was going to go to work with who was a mason, he said, Joe, look, it's just too freezing up here right now. Why don't you go back down to that Gainesville place and um, come back at the end of March? So I did. And um, that's when the saga began. And uh, probably uh, there's certain little things that occurred that inspired me. And it necessarily wasn't the people that I worked for, but the people that I helped, you know, the people who were the members, they were inspiring to me. Um, because they let me help them. And a lot of these people were very, very successful people, um, but they still let this 19-year-old kid, now I turned 20 at this point, teach them how to, how to start uh, training and how to get in shape. And anyway, the book that I found one day in a drawer, uh, I was just opened up a drawer and there's this book sitting there, you know, The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. And and I remember I said, ah, heck, I've, I've heard of these positive thinking books. I never read one, but eh, what the heck? I started reading it and I was just in awe, you know, listening, the, the you know, listening to the words <laughs> that that he spoke of as far as how people accomplish great things by the way they thought. And and, you know, growing up in a middle class family, you know, I had middle class thoughts. I thought this is what life is. And I had this picture of what it was supposed to be until I read that book. And I thought, wow, I have a mind just like these people have a mind. Why can't I accomplish greater things than what I've ever thought? And those were the thoughts that went through my head. And I set a big goal. And I had just gotten into sales. I set a goal to be the top salesperson in the company. And it was a company that went from here out to Florida, out to Utah. And um, three months later, I was a top salesperson in the company. And it was like, how did I do that? And then I realized once I set the goal, I started working much harder, started trying to learn more, talking to more successful people in order to become better. And, um, And then I learned something else, too, something I never thought was possible. And that is I started making money doing something that I actually loved doing. Because coming from upstate New York, I never saw that. I mean, people had a job because they had to pay the bills. But I never heard anybody say, I really love what I do. And they just worked hard because that's what you did. And um, so that was also eye-opening. You can make money doing something you love doing. Well, I I won't go into the whole thing. It would take too long. But, you know, my first first five years – I worked for six companies that went bankrupt. 
because all these clubs closed down and closed down. I go to work for another one, it would close down. And, and people would say, why did you keep sticking with it? And I said, well, first of all, I loved I loved it. And, and second of all, every time one would go bankrupt, I think, well, you know, I know a year's worth of this stuff that I didn't know a year ago, and it seems like it'd be a waste if I just gave it up. Then I'd go work for another one. And a year later, they'd go out of business. I said, you know, now I know two years' worth of this stuff. And I didn't want to give up, you know, what I learned. But once again, you talked about books that can change your business. And, well, there's books that can change your life. And, um, you know, when I was 21 years old and for the first time I was going to manage a health club, I thought I'd better go to the bookstore and get another book. And I did. And I found this book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I read that book. And when I was done, I was so inspired. I wrote a list out of all, all these things that I wanted to do in my life. Now, you got to understand, I had just got done living in my car and it just gotten down to my last 12 cents. And um, then I got this job, got the book and read this. And I put this big list together. And the very first thing on my list was to own my own health club in Gainesville, Florida. So no one is ever going to tell me where I'm going to live. You know, because I had to live in different places. I, I had to live in um, Merritt Island, Florida. I had to live in St. Petersburg, Florida. But I knew I wanted to live in Gainesville. And the way for me to be able to do it was to start my own business so nobody's going to tell me where I'm going to go. And um, that's what led to the development of the centers and, you know, and, and everything that we have today. Because just like you, Paul, it's it's been a process. You know, it's like you climb up a mountain and you look and you see the bigger mountain and then you go to the bigger and you climb the bigger mountain. You get to that one, you see the bigger mountain and you climb to that one. So it's just been kind of like a progression, you know, of growth. But that's what kind of got it all started, uh, knowing I love the business knowing you could be passionate about something and it could actually work financially, you know, at the, at the same time, even though the financial part wasn't the goal, never has been, because I know that's a result of working hard, doing the other things. And, um, so that's how the process has uh, moved forward and never stopped and still not stopping now. All right. So I have a question for you specific to the health club business. Why did these six organizations go out of business? What is it about the, health club business that makes it so difficult to sustain financially and and how were you able to find the answer to that well because i realized all of their focus was on selling memberships selling memberships selling memberships selling memberships my focus was on helping the people helping the people helping the people helping the people because i looked i said you know if you help enough people the membership you'll be able to sell the memberships because you'll develop a reputation for helping people. And also, when I was 21, I, I came across the quote. I, mean, I don't know if maybe it was Zig Ziglar who wrote it that said, you know, if you help enough people get what they want out of life, you'll get everything you want out of life. And I told, I've always told my people that was the premise our business was built on. It's not about us. It's about them. And how do we help them? And if we do that right, we'll be able to sell memberships. And it's always the way it's worked. So what else What else was on that list besides owning your own club? You don't have to go through all of them, but what were a couple of other things that turned out to be really important for you? The second one was I'll make the health club respected in the Gainesville community because mm. they have horrible, horrible reputation. You know, then I started putting fun things down like, you know, I'll own a home in the mountains, a home in the ocean. I'll build my parents a home. I'll become a pilot and own my own airplane. I'll travel all over America, the world. Um, there was one I put down, um, it was actually the fourth thing on my list. I said, by the time I'm 25 years old, 
I'll make $100,000. And here was the kicker to that. You know, the first thing was to own my own health club. And I, I started the health club when I was uh, 24. And I started the health club with 1700 bucks because that's all I had. Mm. I didn't tell anybody I only had 1700 bucks, especially all the people that I hired to build the place. But somehow, every week, I, I was able to figure out how to come up with enough money to, to keep paying them to move, to move on. But, you know, when I was 21 and I wrote that list, I remember when I was 21, I made about $10,000. When I was 22, I made $10,500. When I was 23, I made about $11,000. <laughs> I was reading, I was reading my list every, every, I see, I read my list every night and every morning, uh, every, just religiously every night, and every morning I went through my list. And, um, when I was 23, I actually put a line through a hundred thousand and I put 60,000. I didn't know how I was going to do that either, but it was only two years away. When I was 24, I just finished reading the book laws of success. And I said, you know, I copped out. Everything says you're just supposed to believe, believe it. So I went back to my list and, uh, put a line through 60,000 and wrote a hundred thousand back again. But here's the interesting thing. I started the company when I was 24 and a half. But the day that I turned 26, I had exactly $100,000 in my savings account. And I remember I looked at that number and I said, it's not 99. It's not 101. It's the exact number I wrote down. I said, everything they said is true. I can do anything I set my mind to. I remember that was a thought that went through my head. When I was 26, that I and then I and I, then I, I mean, I did knock everything off on that list. Wow! And do you still do you still make lists today? Do you keep uh, uh, adding to it or or growing your list? No, that it, it, actually that kind of list, no, because there's nothing that I have to write that I want to own an airplane or I want to home in the home in the mountains and all that stuff because I did all that stuff. So no, I have projects now that yeah. I work on. You know, when you talk about the power of books. I mean, I read a book six years ago that somebody asked me, he goes, how much that book cost you? I said, 11 million so far, uh, because it led to a complete redesign of the health club. It's led to what I'm doing, uh, with X-Force and the development of those centers. Um, so it's been a, you know, I said a continuous process. And, and so I, I'd say more along these lines that instead of lists, I come up with projects, the next project. So talk, then, let's talk about that one, because obviously you had, you had a major pivot. Uh, what, what was the book and what did you feel needed to change about the business? Well, uh, it made me aware of what was going to happen to the business. It was called the new rules of retail and it had to do with all the challenges that department stores were going at, were having, you know, how the department stores were these gigantic stores with all these different things inside of it. And then all of a sudden these boutiques started being developed and now like the Lululemons and those things and the women were starting to go to these boutiques and it was hurting their businesses dramatically. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, huh, that's the same thing that's going to help happen in the health club industry. We're going to be starting it. We're going to be hit by these boutiques trying to pull the members out in all these different directions. So um, I, I have a, a great architect. His name is Rudy Fabiano, and he's out of uh, he's he's right outside of New York City and New Jersey, and uh, and he's developed health clubs all over the world. I mean, over six hundred of them. And I called Rudy because he had done some work with me with one of my other clubs, and I said, Rudy, I want to talk to you about this book. So I went through it. He goes, and the great thing about Rudy, he's one of the best in the world, but he has no ego, 
right? You can talk to him, share stuff with him, and he wants to hear it. So I, I told him about it. He goes, you know, I'm very intrigued. I said, okay, this is what I need you to do. Go into New York City and go to the new Bloomingdale's. And I said, when you walk through Bloomingdale's, because they, they were picking up on the development of boutiques, right, inside their stores. I said, when you go through um, Bloomingdale's, don't look at it like a department store. Look at it like it's a health club and tell me what you see. And he did. So he goes, it's very interesting. I started noticing this and this and this and this. Well, it just so happened I was asked to speak in London. And I was in London for a number of days. And one day I was walking down the street and I see this department store called Selfridges. And I said, oh, let me go in and take a look at it. I spent six hours in that store. It was the most incredible store I've ever been in in my life. And I called Rudy. I said, Rudy, I think the guy that wrote that book, he must have been in this store mm -hmm. when he was writing it. It has everything he talked about. I mean, it had Chanel, Prada, Gucci, all like different stores right within the store. And I'm looking at it. I'm thinking you could take any one of those stores, move it and put it on a corner somewhere all by itself. And it will be a complete store. And, um, so it was just it was it was now starting to solidify. But, Paul, I know, you know, the, the idea of serendipity. I come home and I turn on PBS and what are they announcing? They're having a show called The Secret of Selfridges, a one hour story about the development of that store. And uh, I watched oh, it wow. and I ordered the uh, the DVDs and I sent them up to Rudy. I said, watch this. And it'll, it'll show you what I was uh, talking about. As a matter of fact, I gave it to one of the uh, – a woman who's, who her and her father developed the largest shopping centers in Gainesville. And I gave her a copy of the DVD. I said, Deborah, I want you to watch this. And I saw her about two weeks later and I said, did you get a chance to see it yet? She goes, yes. Everybody in my marketing department has to see this as soon as they start so they understand what it is we're trying to do. And uh, so it just gave me – a lot of not only, I mean, I had the inspiration, but now this actually showed me, you know, what it was going to, what it would, could look like. And that's when we started remodeling, expand, expanding, remodeling, redesigning the whole center. So we have a whole number of boutiques built, you know, right inside our center. And everyone has a different storefront from the other one and a different brand, you know, inside, even though it's all our company. Um, each area has a, has a different look, just like what I saw you know, in England. Wow. So you really looked uh, forward in terms of what could happen in the industry and uh, and applied that to your business, uh, which is probably very unique in the, in the health club business. I can just imagine what that looks like to develop kind of a boutique concept in what's normally a very big box concept with a, you know, an, an 80,000 square foot health club. Yeah, everything has got, like I said, everything's got a different look. Some some is stone in the front, some is wood in the front, some is just glass in the front. So um, each area has its own unique uh, elements. So as you've grown the business into something as sizable and as impactful as, as, as it is today, Joe, uh, what are some of the big lessons you've learned just as a leader? Uh, what's a, a humbling experience that you've had as a, as a leader growing your business? Well, I mean, I, I, as far as being humbled, um, I, th I think that occurs uh, pretty much every day, you know. And, I, and when I say humbled, I think it's in a good way. You know, there's there's so many people 
whose lives we impact. And, and one day, just as an exercise, I, um, I brought all my salespeople together and I said, I need to post a question to you guys. And, um, here's the question. I said, first, I need to visualize something. I said, don't say anything. I just want you to think about this. If you woke up tomorrow morning and the health club was gone, it was just wiped off the face of the earth. I said, I just want you to think about that. Just think about tomorrow, the entire health club is gone. I said, I'm going to give you a minute. Just imagine that. I didn't say anything. Wouldn't let them say anything for a minute. Then I said, okay, what difference does it make? And when they went around the room, there's nobody that said, oh, I'll have to look for another job. They started going through all these different people, these people who come to the health club every day, who they say, you know, Jerry comes every day. He used to be here with his wife, but his wife died. I think this is the biggest part of his life is being inside of this club and the connection he has with the staff and all the other members in the center. And it would just dramatically affect him. You know, I remember, I remember years ago, there was this old man, he was probably almost 80 years old. And, um, and I used to help him all the time, just a great old guy. And, and um, one day I said to him, Dom, like, what did you do in your life? You know, he, he told me, he said, you know, when, when I was young, he said, I was a laborer. And um, he goes, we had to buy our clothes from the foreman, our, our gloves from the foreman. And the gloves were just no good. And I went to him one day and I said, I said, if I made you better gloves, would you buy them from me? And he said, yes. She said, I got this old Italian lady helping me make gloves. Then they needed more. And I got more old Italian ladies. They needed more. And I had to get more. He goes, eventually I became the largest producer of work gloves in the world. So, you know, he was a very wealthy guy. But then I asked him and I, I said, um, I said, and he goes, Joe, he says, my wife died. And he, and you know, the next thing he said to me, he goes, I would have spent every penny I ever made if I could have kept her alive, mm-hmm. which went right back to there's no amount of money that 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 makes up for your health, um, for loved ones, for anything. And I think those are the kind of those are the kind of things that um, I, I, I don't know if the word means humbles, but it's the stuff that keeps you grounded, you know, always. And, you know, I, I had the opportunity to, you know, work for so many clubs that went bankrupt. I mean, I lived in, I lived in closed down buildings. I lived in my car. I lived in health clubs I worked in because I didn't have money to get a place to live. But I didn't look at those as um, humbling as much as I thought of them all as learning experiences and things that would test my character you know, to see how much I could take. Yeah. Uh, and I think what you said is what, what is most humbling is realizing what's most important in, in life. And you, you learn that very early on in terms of health. Um, but, but family and, uh, the impact you're having on employees lives, on your customers lives, uh, any of those moments, like you said, are hum- humbling and you experience them every day. Yep. Uh, I know you've had some uh, challenges along the way, even more than in the early days and still even today, uh, as you've grown and scaled uh, to this point. Can you think of uh, maybe the hardest decision you've had to make uh, as a leader? 
Well, I, I could take it back to, um, and it wasn't like it was that long ago, but in the in the 80s, when I had been developing my, my centers, I developed a new center. I spent every penny I had to, to do it. And, and uh, you know, back then, you know, we were the University of Florida's rec center because there were no rec centers at universities. And I just built this new, brand new club. At that point, it was about 32,000 square feet in another location from now. But, but um, you know, I'm getting all this stuff going. And then I open up the newspaper one day and I read the headlines of the local section. And the headline was University of Florida to build fitness center to rival commercial facility in town. And I remember looking at that thinking, holy cow, the whole university is taking me on. And um, I'd say that was a situation where it's like, whoa, you know, what do you do next? And then I just had to start thinking because I realized one of the most important things we can do as leaders is take time to think, you know, and look out into the future and make decisions based upon your your best guesses of what's, uh, you know, what's going to happen next that was that was a pretty good challenge but i worked my way through that and uh as a matter of fact that's when i originally started developing the rehab center thinking maybe i'll have to become a massive rehab center if i can't make it as a fitness center anymore but then i realized i could do both and i just had to change my marketing and who i was going after and and um some other components of the advertising and all but uh, we made it through, you know, we made it through all that. You know, I mean, obviously, one of the biggest challenges when you're in business, especially in the, in the kind of business I am, but it evolves all businesses, is all the new competition that's out there and how you evolve as a company, you know, to deal with all the competition that's out there. And, you know, positions that you have to take in the marketplace where, you know, my industry, Paul, you know, one of the, the biggest thing are all the low cost guys. You know, the $10 a month, $20 a month guys. And um, I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm not. And I elected not to be. And so in our market, in the health club part, we're the high end. Um, but I, I knew that I said, you know, there's, there's, there's people that want more. There's people that want better. And, uh, you know, I could always, uh, you know, thinking back to when I was a kid, you know, my father, uh, he always, my father was a great cook and he used to always talk about opening a restaurant, but, but I think his father always convinced him he needed to focus more on security, <laughs> yeah. us, especially with a number of kids. And, um, but I remember my father used to always say, he goes, you know, if you sell a steak for a certain amount of money and then the price of steak goes up, he goes, you know, most restaurants will try and find a cheaper steak. He goes, I don't think that's the way to do it. I think you keep buying the best steak and you just charge more and more people will want that. <laughs> and it's funny, the little things that you think back and say, you know, that affected everything about my business on the, on the other side, you know? And, um, so it's just one of those things. And it's just, like I said, it's where the, where the challenges come from. And, you know, with the, with the new project I'm working on, you know, with X-Force and, and it's a brand new concept doing in other cities. And, um, you know, it's a great challenge. It's a great product. It could be a little bit scary because, you know, you're going into markets you don't know at all. Um, but you will learn everything about them as long as there's enough people, you know, who live there. And um, so it's just a constant process of changing, evaluating, learning, experiencing and, and eventually just doing it. 
Yeah. Joe, I think you and I are probably in a similar age range, and uh, I'm, prob- I'm one of maybe only a few of the listeners who remember Jack LaLanne, so that's what brought me back. But uh, So wh- as you think about long-term, what's, what's your vision for yourself and, and Gainesville Health and Fitness? Well, I still have, uh, I, I have two new projects going on within the fitness centers themselves. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, you know, most health clubs all focus on working out and obviously it's a huge component of us, but I was looking at it, realizing that where most health clubs don't go is in the other side, which is recovery. And, um, it just so happened last year was kind of a challenging year for my family because two of my brother-in-laws died and my mother died. And then about, uh, four or five months ago, I was up in my house. My father had a stroke about six years ago. So we have a a mother and a daughter who are with my father 24 hours a day. And the mother, who's only 52 years old, was sitting at the kitchen table and I was sitting there with her. She got a phone call that her husband had a heart attack and he was working up in Georgia. Anyway, to make a long story short, he died. And 52 years old. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Michelle is her name. She lived in a city about an hour away. And I said, Michelle, I'll drive you home. So I drove her back to her family. And uh, on the way back, I was thinking about how many people get sick from stress. And I knew he was under a lot of stress. Get sick from stress, get hurt from stress, die from stress. And I thought, I got to build an area in the club that's totally designed to help de-stress people. And so I'm just finishing off a room. It's called Chill. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's totally designed for relaxation with like hydro massage, you know, with water massage tables, a series of them and beautiful music and beautiful decor and lighting and everything. So that'll be open a week from uh, Monday. And then um, uh, I met with the art with Rudy, the architect, and we're completely redoing our pool area so that it looks like a hotel resort with wood ceilings, tiled walls, beautiful, you know, beautiful everything. And um, so all of that's going to be pushed toward the recovery aspects of our health, of which a lot of people forget about. And uh, it'll even be something that'll perfectly tie in with our rehab centers, because one of the things if you start doing research on people with injuries and everything else, stress in their life is a huge component. So not only will we train them to help alleviate their their pain and strengthen them wherever they're injured, but we'll be adding these components to their rehab so that they know that we want to work on all aspects of them, not just the physical. Oh boy, that sounds uh, incredible! I'm online as we're talking, buying a ticket to fly to Gainesville to uh, <laughs> hang out in your club uh, and and relax a little bit in in the chill section. Um, uh, Joe, you know you've accomplished so much, uh, and I know uh, that you're not finished. Um, but as you think about the journey so far, and you had to articulate maybe what you thought was the most important quality of a great leader, what would that be? Well, it'd be number one, knowing that the most important components in your business life are the people who work with you. And um, so that's always been huge for me, staying connected to them all the time, communicating with them all the time. I mean, I, I go to dinner with my employees. I take my employees to lunch. I mean, I try to set up at least, at least two times a month where I take five employees to lunch and uh, 
And I just tell them, I said, listen, I just want you to understand that I don't think of you as just employees. I don't look at you as just cogs in a wheel. I said, I look at you as human beings. And I said, in order to get a better understanding, I just want you to come to lunch so, so I can learn more about you and everybody can learn about you. And, and, um, so literally we go around about yourself and um, it's one of those great things of just breaking down barriers. Like I don't, I don't like, I don't walk around like I own the place and you need to respect me. I don't look at it all. Cause I, I look, <laughs> I look at, I look at the people who work for me as just like I look at myself. You know, I don't see myself as being any different, you know, from any of them. And uh, I may lead them and I may have more experience, but I never look at myself as being any better or any more important than any. As a matter of fact, I try and hopefully make sure they understand I look at them as being the most important components. And, and I've been lucky. You know, I still have, I, you know, the first three employees, uh, one left about 10 years ago, one left retired two months ago, and I still have another one that's still with me. And that was, in the, that was the three of the beginning. Then two more after that are still with me. I've got a lot of employees who've been with me well over 30 years. And uh, so it becomes much more than just an employee relationship. It becomes a totally human relationship. Well, and you were them and you are them. You're, you're really one and the same. And you've kept that perspective this whole time, which is why you built these wonderful relationships. And um, if you would think about uh, any of your employees that are, let's say, in their 20s and um, that I'm probably, I'm sure you see yourself in them quite a bit and, and they look at you one day at, a, at one of these lunches or dinners and say, Joe, tell me your story and how can I be like you one day? What would you tell them? I think the most critical thing I have, I, I tell any of them is find something you can really be passionate about and give it all that you got. And I also tell them, that you may not be able to figure that out for a while. So I tell them that no matter what you do, be the absolute best you can be at it. I said, because someday you're going to find that special thing and you will know how to put everything you got into it because you always put everything you had into everything you do. Don't believe that, look, and I'm not going to give this everything I got because this isn't what I plan on doing for the rest of my life. I said, because you're going to be passing an opportunity to become the absolute best once you get into whatever that role in your life may be. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing I try to, you know, impart on any of them. I remember once this girl who used to, who I, we used to work together in one of the health clubs that I worked in with her that went bankrupt. And, you know, years and years later, she came in and she goes, holy cow. She goes, Joe, can you believe this is yours? Her name was Marie. And I said, you know, Marie, every single one of them was mine. So once I made the transition to being, quote, mine, it was no different than all the other ones I worked in because I gave it everything I had, you know, every single day. And, and that's, the, that's, the, the, that's the thing I try to impart mm. I mean, in all of them. Yeah. Uh, you're such an inspiration, Joe. Uh, what wonderful lessons learned that uh, you learned along the way and are still learning. And it sounds to me like uh, you have a long way to go. Um, I want to end with just a, 
a quick game of association, some quick hits. Uh, I'll throw a few questions out to you and just kind of talk about maybe the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, I, I think some of these we've probably talked about because you've talked about the impact that uh, other people and books and things have had. But uh, the first one is to name a famous leader that you look up to. Uh, Vince Lombardi was always one I always respected. Great one. How about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Which one of all those books you mentioned uh, would you say is number one? I, I think that when you really start getting down into the details, it was probably The Laws of Success. Okay. Well, and, uh, what about your all-time favorite movie? I think I'd have to go with, uh, <laughs> since I watched it 14 times, I'd have to go with Braveheart. Oh, that's so good. Uh, now, you're stranded on an island. You get to take one thing with you. What would it be? Um, <laughs> should I say a telephone so I can talk to people? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, from actually watching a lot of the survival things, I think probably the most important thing I better have are matches. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, would, it wouldn't be a dumbbell. Yeah, it probably yeah. wouldn't be. I could figure out how to work out in the vines. There you but, go. Um <laughs> And uh, you've been very genuine and authentic with us today, but uh, what's something about you that people generally don't know? Well, you know, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people, you know, because they may see me in a role of being a leader and always being strong, you know, there are a lot of things that move me and uh, they do move me where I lots of times have to fight back tears because they move me. But um, I think uh, there's probably going to be some people who wouldn't believe that. You know, because they always see you in this leadership uh, leadership role. But one thing I do know, and any any leaders that are really true leaders, they have a side of them that's uh, empathetic, as well as a sign that's that's sympathetic. And um, hopefully, I, I I do have those qualities, and they may not be the ones that come out all the time. Well, uh, it's so true. And something I learned about leaders of all types is that uh, leaders are generally all have a sensitive side, all actually have a heart. And sometimes we don't let that show or think that it's it's, uh, important that it not show. And uh, so those kind of vulnerabilities are important. And I think it's it's okay to show them. And we should because that's what makes us human and what makes those relationships human as well. Um, Joe, this has been great. You've uh, really inspired uh, me and and I'm sure all the people that are listening to this. The things I took away uh, from this and kind of thinking about developing your vision after reading that article was that you can't just sit in a room for a half a day and, and develop a vision and the values. It takes time and effort. And if you're including other people in that process, you have to be patient to articulate it in a way that really resonates and reflects who you are as a company. Uh, just the, the fact that you're in your early childhood, you realize through your mom about the importance of maintaining your health and that health will, uh, if you have your health, you pretty much have everything. And, and that's something that all of us take for granted. And and uh, the fact that you're up every day and still this morning at 4.30 working out um, just shows and you can tell how that relates to the kind of business that you have built around uh, the discipline that you learned working, uh, living with your mom and dad and, and learning lessons from them. Being in a business that you're passionate about and, and realizing that no matter what you do, 
love what you do. And so many times, I'm sure you do this as well, when you meet young people who feel a lot of stress around the fact that they haven't found their thing yet, or maybe they're not in the right job, or they don't feel fulfilled. And I'm always just saying, just keep going, keep going. The the next job may not be the right job or may not be what's meant for you, your passion is going to come to you over time. And I think for you, even a lot of these lessons that you learned are things that came to you over time. But the bottom line is that you loved what you did along the way. And whether you were an employee in a health club or a manager in a health club or the owner of a health club, you've always enjoyed the very basics of someone coming in and you having an impact on their life. Uh, that, That list you made Uh, And you may not have lists like that today. Today you're working on projects, but that initial list where you sat down and said, what is important to me? And you work to knock that off. It's the importance of goals and the importance of writing things down. Um, That that growth is a a progression. Uh, None of us set out to do many of the things that we're doing today. We don't even know how to do them, but we put our heads down. We work hard. We live by that set of core values and, and good things happen for us over time. Uh, the, the fact that you were able to take a business that's not known for culture, that's not known for originality, uh, that is known for just driving people to sign on the dotted line and hope that they don't show up. And that wasn't a business model that you supported. You knew that you were actually contributing to making people's lives better. And you were able to do a business, create a business that did well, did good at the same time. Um, I love the story about the steak and the fact that you made the choice to be a premium provider in a commodity business. Every business is going to be commoditized over time. But you stuck with it and said, look, if if I'm going to create an experience for people that means something to me and my employees, uh, we're going to charge a premium price for that and people will pay that and we're going to make that proactive decision and that's been able to sustain all this time. You didn't didn't give up. You didn't say, well, I'm just going to have to jump in uh, with everyone else. And the bottom line is that business exists to enhance the lives of the people that work there. And the fact that you've continued to articulate that with now 500 employees and even in the new concepts that you're developing, I know that that's going to continue to be a big part of of what you've done. So, so many great examples here, uh, Joe, that that we've we've taken. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and, uh, of course, continued success. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate it a lot. Appreciate you. Well, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time. 